The Examine Life podcast, discussing society, culture, philosophy to entertain ourselves and perhaps others. See? Yeah, my wife has left this whole week and it's just like fucking you, be- beautiful. It's you lucky like, fuck. And I'm just like, thank fucking God. I was hmm. waiting for her to leave. Huh. I think and it's a world down. She just called me. I'm just like, oh, fuck off. Yeah, I don't want to deal hmm. with this. Right. Hmm. And I've finally been out of sleep this fucking week. God damn it. Jesus. Uh, yeah, it's it's fucked up. If your sleep patterns are fucked, mm, it just takes out, it, yeah, it just takes out exactly. You you don't get that real deep sleep, that REM sleep, and you mm. you just feel like you're running on about you're running on like sixty percent, and it's not the end of the world. But if you're running on mm. sixty, uh, you know. Bro, I don't know how the fuck you do it. Like, I mm. need to feel good all the time. Otherwise, I feel like shit. And if I feel like shit, I just want to fucking put a gun in my mouth. I'm not one of those people that can just go, oh, wow. you know, I feel I feel shit. I'm going to push through it. I'm like, I feel shit. How can I fix this? Right? I need. I, I like to feel good all the time. I'm, I'm not used to feeling like shit. How, mm. how, do you, how do you do it, man? How do you feel like shit? And then just push through it. Empathy. For who? The world, for anyone that suffers, for myself in the past, for anyone that may be suffering in the moment, um, for the people who have suffered to, uh, you know, in, in place of our, us, you know, like the whole cr- Christian thing, you know, they, they praise this fuckwit, sorry, that um, died for our sins, but there's pl- there are actually plenty of people out there that actually did die for our sins, you know, people that died so that we could have a life and, and, and live comfortably. Um, I can't think of, of his name, but you know, there's plenty of people out there. What's that? Uh, Fred Hollows, you know, that Fred Hollows guy, oh, the through, all through Asia, fucking for ten dollars a day, you know, ten dollars to fix people's eyes. That's all he was doing. That, that dude was a hero, you know. So, um, people like me who get, get to live a, a hedonistic lifestyle and, and uh, you know, when the, the chemical imbalances occur. Um, that, that there's just um, consequences, and I, and I understand the concept of consequences, so I'm more than ready and willing to accept it. And I know that it's not going to last very long. So right. No problem. But like when you when you think about other people, like I've I don't know I've I've kind of got a problem with that philosophy because I feel like just because because other people are suffering worse, does that make mm-hmm. my suffering more tolerable? Yes, for me, for me, it does. Have you heard my? You've heard my story a thousand times. I was at a party, and I had had this philosophy since I was twenty-three, and I was I was on a bit of gear, and it was Marty's grandma's birthday or something. So it was like all these old folks hanging out at Marty's house at night time. It was huge, and um, we're chatting, 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 chatting to everyone. And um, I, I dropped that comment. I said, you know, even on my worst day, it's not like I'm in the Holocaust. And John Logan came up from behind me, and all I heard was you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. And I turned around and instead of like, it was just, okay, mate. And he walked off on me. And it's just like, yeah, you've got problems. You need to hold on to your pain. And um, well, why, it, it was he goes, threatened, why was he so threatened by the idea of, you know, suffering less to be grateful because other people have suffered more from the Holocaust? What, what was he threatened by that? I think he probably, chucked, he probably chucked in the phrase that you need to own your own pain. But, um, I've, I don't know. I've got this ignorance about me where I live in the now and I don't really remember the past or 
bad things that have happened. Things that are usually bad are things that are happening to me in the moment. And I, I, can, I can see back a few months or, or, or whatever and see direct correlations, but anything which is like inbuilt kind of uh, trauma, it's, it's, it's not, it's a non-event, you know, it's like, I can't, I can't look back when I was 10 years old and go, my mum didn't do this. So, you know, fuck her kind of thing. I'm, I'm never at that level. It's, it's always, for me, it's either I'm in a shit job. I've taken too many drugs. I didn't sleep. I haven't slept for two days, man. I, I slept one hour yesterday and I slept for 20 minutes this morning. <sighs> I was really worried that I wasn't going to be able to fucking function right now, but um, I'm doing all right. Actually, I had three days off work, so I, that makes a big difference. There's a big difference between chronic physical work and sitting around doing nothing. <laughs> yeah, and how much? How much does like your job? You know, you, you lay carpet for a living. It's extremely well. I think it's extremely taxing. How much is that? Be. Yeah. How much does that take a, a toll on your body and on your your mental stamina? Because I find that I'm at the school all day. I'm teaching. Um, I'm in front of the kids for about four and a half hours a day, roughly. Mm. Um, and then because I've been up, you know, I've been up since five 30 by the time mm. it's it, the afternoon, I'm just mentally, I'm mentally and physically drained, even though I mm. haven't really done that much physically. Like how does mm. your body feel after a day's work? Um, well, so, so it's a whole different kind of, um, <sighs> I don't know you call it a whole, whole different ballpark. So, you know, for me, probably you know a three or a four hour day is the equivalent of you burning or is, is more than you burning the amount of calories you would burn in a normal day so <clears throat> okay factoring in the gym <clears throat> so if i get a three four five hour day i come home uh unwind a little bit but then i'm back i'm back i'm good but um if it's a big day i pretty much come back and it was the other day i remember saying it to mickey and I assumed because he's 24, 25, that he wouldn't understand. And it was like seven o'clock and we went to get dinner. And I'm like, man, I feel like I've had this shit kicked out of me. I feel like I've been fucking thrown to the ground and 10 guys have been kicking me in the guts and shit. That's how I fucking felt. And I still kind of feel a bit sore from it. That, that, that was a big day. So like if, if you have a big day, obviously you've been you know, mentally and physically fatigued. Um, mm. I think you would burn more calories in an hour than I would, I would burn in, in 10 hours, <laughs> in 10 hours, definitely. Because, mm. Mm. um, I, I have a job that's very sedentary. Like, you know, you're moving around the classroom mm. and you, you just, I have to exercise and pay somebody to exercise me. Otherwise mm. I'll be so unhealthy. I'll be overweight. Um, even if mm. I fast, even if I am a vegetarian, even if I eat extremely clean, I'll still be overweight because you know, unless I could do portion controls, portion, mm. if I control my portions and eat, eat at the right calories, I'll maintain my weight. But my body will just, um, what's the word? Atrophy. It was just atrophy mm. as well, because I'm not using it. It's just, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Atrophy makes sense. But in the context of the conversation, it sounds like um, I'd like to find a more academic word for um, you know, putting on weight, you know, atrophy is like, um, muscle wearing away. Yeah. yeah. The muscle wearing away. And that's, that's Degrading. what I mean. Like muscle. Mm. Dig yeah. That's exactly what happens. My muscle withers away and I put on more fat. So, the, mm. you know, like even though your weight might stay like a similar kind of weight or fluctuates, you know, what's mm. actually happening internally is so damaging. 
Mm. You like you do the majority of your learning. Like, how do you do the majority of your learning at work? Like, it's just something that I I'm trying to understand with you is like, how do you how do you learn stuff at work? Well, I'm lucky with my job because I can do everything with my eyes closed without even thinking about it. So it's all second nature. So it's pretty much like I'm just listening to audiobooks or lecture series or documentaries. It is the worst case. Um, scenario and i really don't get much out of it because it's not much it's not very um it's very passive it's very passive learning so i kind of try to find salient parts from what i learn out of the day and then i will go somewhere else and i'll reinforce it through like literature so i i do agree literature is probably the best the most important method of you know memorizing things or getting things in your head but it's good to have like a multimedia kind of range of things to kind of keep you interested and uh sort of plug in holes here and there when you say literature what do you mean by literature like academic journals yeah 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 yeah. writing words english you know yeah it's written the written word oh okay Mm. so you mean anything that's written Mm. that's why i don't know if that's if you can use that word but that's how i'm using it now yeah Right. Okay. So you're thinking that the written, like books, basically, you know, any kind of academic mm. sources that are that are written. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. But then again, then again, um, before all this um Cold War, uh, sorry, um, Ukraine thing happened, I um, <clears throat> I'm a bit like you. I do spend a, a lot of time on on Facebook or uh, YouTube. Sorry, YouTube. Nothing else. So the amount of time you spend on Joe Rogan, I probably spend doing other things, and um. Before the whole Ukrainian thing come out, uh, there was this, oh, what'd you call it? Quite sub, he was almost like a butler, but he was, in, he was an interviewer and he was interviewing this guy called um, David Koppel or David Kopner. And the interviewer was kind of saying, this guy's a genius. He has all the answers to the world's dilemmas. He, he knows everything that's going on. And it's like an absolute pleasure to have you in this room. And the way that he was talking him up, I'm like, this sounds like trouble, but I'll give it five minutes just to see where he goes. And he was pretty much talking about uh, Russia, the fall of the Soviet Union, and how the West stuffed up by uh, allowing China to try and do a similar thing, where China is a totally different uh, system. And the guy's just absolutely arrogant. He's, He's written like 20 books. And I can just tell by from what he said in his um, hour or half an hour lecture that I heard that his, his biases are, are very strongly connected to capitalism. Capitalism is the only answer. Communism will always fail. And he's not willing to um, acknowledge um, any, any benefits or any, any of the good things that happened in, in communism or admit the places where it went wrong right hmm. so you're saying that he's just extremely biased and even though he seems to be quite academic that he, he might not uh, have all the pieces of the puzzle or just be, being yeah fairly... i think he he blocks it out he oh, won't agree with it he's right, a bit like jordan okay. peterson yeah, he's so just like jordan peterson so like that cognitive dissonance where it's like it doesn't mm. fit your argument so you just completely mm. dismiss it so I, I forgot what the one of the exact arguments sorry dude. <laughs> One of the exact arguments was, um, oh, it was kind of weird. He was kind of saying how 
you know, the Soviet, I've actually been studying the Soviet Union fell. And um, at the same time, China kind of started to um, open up its um, capital market to the Western world. So it's pretty much got a capitalist um, economy and a, a communist uh, government. And um, this guy is kind of saying, everyone's shocked now that, you know, the Chinese government hasn't collapsed or, you know, they, they haven't become more progressive or more humanist or more liberal and things like that. And I forgot what his argument was, but it was, it was quite flawed in general. He, he was, I think you're saying, you know, we can look at Russia and we can see that it didn't work there. Um, so that's the main example that he used. But the first thing that came up into my mind when I was um, listening to his argument was China is a totally different um, society. It's a totally different culture. It's not the same case study. You, can, you can't take an elephant and a, and a, a pygmy possum and put them through the same experiments and hope to get similar um, outcomes. You know, like China's history is a lot different to Russia's history. Yeah, I, I've noticed that. A lot of people say when they talk about politics in the US, uh, when in the USA, they might say, oh, you know, um, Biden is going to do this. And if, if you want to, if you want a, uh, the United States to end up like Cuba, then, you know, yeah. this is how it's going. It's like, how did you make that connection? Like it's scaremongering. Yeah, it's scaremongering and it's just, it's a false mm. premise as well. Like they're not mm. comparable countries. Mm. You know, one country is never going to end up like the other countries for so many, n- yeah, for yeah, so yeah. many reasons, right? They can't be the mm. same. Yeah. Mm. And, they, and uh, as you said, the cognitive dissonance is, um, well, if you want to put a chalkboard up on the wall and write uh, Norway, Denmark, Switzerland, Finland, Germany, France, all these other countries, which are, you know, the most affluent, most affluent countries on the planet who look after their, their poor, they're tired, they're weak. They're somewhat and, um, yeah. And it's just like Australia, you know, like, um, well, the history of, um, can I give you a quick little rundown on the history of socialism? Sure. Okay. So, so feudalism pretty much ran the world up until about 17, 1800s and God knows who overthrew that, but, you know, some enlightened uh, king or something. Um, I, I know that um, uh, the emperor of Austria, he, he, he uh, banished uh, feudalism, Joseph II. So I've seen that happened bit by bit. Um, and so people started moving into the cities um, and started getting work in factories and dirty jobs and getting shit pay for hard work. And they kind of, um, they missed um, the country life. And that's kind of where socialism kind of started out. I'm pretty sure it happened a bit before um, even Marx and Engels kind of were talking about it. But um, so what happened was Marx and Engels ended up, well, communism became this big thing, you know, the Communist Manifesto. They, they, that was written before Marx even sort of started his, his, own, his own book, Das Capital and Theory. So there was a, a huge popular movement which was going on saying, we're getting ripped off, we're being killed, we're not getting compensation, our kids are dying in chimneys and shit like that. And um, the best example I have, I, I thought it began in Germany, but it might have been somewhere else. And, um, you know, the, the politicians were pretty savvy, they were pretty cluey, they went, um, you know, we could sit back and we could keep on drilling these people into the ground and sooner or later they're going to overthrow us and we're going to lose everything. Or we can create socialism for them and give it to them the way that we want to give it to them 
and give them holidays and sick pay and compensation and an eight hour workday and that will shut them up. And that's kind of how a lot of these Western countries kind of did it. So the, the what do you call it? The, the, the government elite kind of, uh, I can't think of a word for it, but they kind of kidnapped the idea and they used it against the people to keep them, you know, content. It was a very clever idea. Bismarck was very famous for doing it. Yeah, it's just a manipulation, really. But um, at the same time, meeting people's needs. Beneficial. Yeah, mm, and at, at, yeah, and at the same time, you know, it's maybe providing a little bit of dignity, um, mm. keeping the keeping the people just fed enough, you know, just mm. satisfied enough, so they keep going and have something to work towards. You know, mm, I think it was a bit better than that. I think I'm not, I'm not sure Bismarck exact exactly, but there's a guy called Krupp in Germany, the massive um, steel um, company is called Krupp, Krupp Stahl, Krupp, Krupp Steel. And he actually, I think he was one of the first people to instigate a socialist kind of regime because what he would do, he would build a mega city inside like his land where his factory was and all his workers would live inside his city. And there was a hospital, there was, you know, food halls, everything was kind of accommodated for. And he would look after these people. So people like that kind of, you know, started these things. He had he had the foresight to realize a happy worker is a good worker. Yeah, absolutely. It makes sense. And it, it makes sense that um, you know, the the whole mindset of the employee, you know, the, the worker would change. You know, if you feel like you're getting enough, I guess, and you feel like mm. you're getting looked after, you're getting fed something to work mm. towards um then it's, hearing us. it's pretty yeah it's a pretty sweet deal and you'd be i guess you would be content you know attack mm. that on with some with some goals like you know whether it's house ownership or or mm. um some kind of wealth then why wouldn't you be motivated if you were mm. if you had a better quality style of living i'm not sure how that actually works because you've got um john locke and john locke wrote you know he's he's treated on government and um the theory of mind or whatever and and his main uh premises were you know life liberty the pursuit of happiness and property so i'm not sure if he was actually talking for the <clears throat> for the entire humanity or if he was um just talking for a limited few you know the, the aristocrats or the, the 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 bourgeois yeah that's a good question yeah, I've read a bit of Locke as well. Um, I, I think you'd probably be talking more to, to the aristocrats, but I don't know. I'm um, mm. I'm just guessing. But yeah, you know, the feudal system into the Industrial Revolution, the worker, you know, they, it feels like there has to be, yeah, there feels like there has to be a balance between getting getting enough, working towards goals, and then feeling a sense of satisfaction and achievement that you can, you can keep moving forward and mm. producing. Um, but I don't like how you say there has to be. <laughs> well, it's motivating. I mean, it's motivating mm. for the individual. It makes sense. Yeah, exactly. From our perspective. But you got yeah, you got to remember that if it was an, an improvement as well. Like, what about like? Isn't that kind of what's happening in China to a degree where you have a lot of farm workers and people that. And I could be wrong here. People that work in farms, people that work um, in, uns, you know, like the, maybe tribes or mm. un, un kind of skilled work, um, very kind of rural and, and primitive baseline, you know, jobs that are important. And then mm. now that they, they put an iPhone 
Apple puts a factory there and then basically they get, you know, thousands of Apple workers, factory workers, and then mm-hmm. they make, you know, they can make more money. And it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's still living conditions that are horrible for the everyday, mm-hmm. um, for the everyday, maybe American, but for you know, someone that's come from mm-hmm. the farm, it's mm-hmm. obviously way better. And it's kind of like, can make some money. Is it, is it kind of similar to that where that the opportunity, even though it's kind of somewhat, uh, you know, arduous, provides mm. a better opportunity holistically for a future and then kids could you know they could you know they could provide they can get their children educated they could um mm. is it something I mean, like like that do you think um this this isn't an educated guess but um just from just the way you're talking um a bit of information there so from what you're saying my mind is telling me that um you know once, once um the feudalism kind of ended um you know, mechanization of the of the fields kind of took place, and it was a bit easier for less people to look after the crops. Um, from how I see it, you know, it was only ever the rich or the aristocrats or the merchants or the traders or the people who um really didn't work for a living. People that um you know just sat in meetings or did that crap that lived in cities. It was never really the people that did you know but back breaking labor I, I don't doubt there were you know there were there were guilds there were people who stonemasons and things like that but um i think the people from the countryside would have you know they, they broke off the, the chains the shackles from their feudal lord who they had to pay four days worth of grain to which was their tax to um go to the city and you know you know the classic old um you know, American movie, go to Hollywood or go to New York and try and make it big kind of thing. That's kind of how I see it. You know, your mind tells you that you're most likely it's not going to work, but, um, you know, fortune favors the bold, I guess. Hmm. But in those days it didn't because it was, it was really terrible, especially in Britain. And there were, there were quite a few sort of like, uh, moments of civil unrest and, the government had to put him down and I, I forgot who it was but there were there was one prime minister or something that said you know we have to meet them somewhere in the middle otherwise they're, they're going to overthrow us you know well if you're a, if you're working on like if you're a peasant and you're working on the farm mm. like it's just isn't that just economic wasn't that just economic slavery you couldn't really own property you just worked you had mm. to pay your land, you, know, you had mm. to pay your landlords. It's kind of, you know, so where is the, is the tax? Yeah. yeah. Like you, you were taxed, you would, you would toil the land. Um, You're you taxed would, on four sevenths of your income. Right. So what's the, where's the motivation to, to work uh, hard? Where's the motivation mm. to have anything of your own? Mm. Um, where's the motivation to, well, uh, to be prosperous? Well, um, no offense to John, but John's always said that the church has always um been the the, the the best the best system of government or the best way to look after people. And I think the, the church kind of um potentially helped people just accept their life, you know. Well, that you know? gives people faith, right? And yeah, why worry faith. about this life? Well, that links us back up to suffering again, right? People, mm. you can justify your suffering. You can say that it's, it's some kind of religious experience and it's a lot easier to deal with, you, you know, the fact that you might have a horrible, dismal, um, mm. painful life. So mm. what is, you know, is, is religion in that sense a coping mechanism of dealing with suffering? Mm. Mm. Did I say to you the other, the other day, um, I guess we need to sort of um, 
refresh anyone that's listening was talking talking about my son and I'm, I'm keen to be honest with him uh, you know from from scratch so um a little bit too early I, I spoke to him about death and how people die and he's starting to hold on to that and he's starting to talk about it every day and he's like why do people have to die and things like that and I, and it's starting to stress me out i'm starting to think i want to lie to him i want to tell him you know oh no you know oh there's some fairy that'll fix it I'm, and i turn i turn to maureen and i'm like it's moments like these i wish i had jesus <laughs> it would just be so much easier just to say yeah, nothing changes. When you die, things actually get better and everyone that you know is going to be there and it's all going to be just the way it is right now. I, like, I, I think I uh, think that links into maybe the age of reason and the, the scientific revolution and the age of enlightenment. Mm -hmm. Like it's, we, te we tell ourselves stories to, to deal with, mm -hmm. you know, difficult Gosh. things in life, right? Like look at how mm -hmm. many religions have got, like, oh, there's a, there's a plague. Mm -hmm. It was a curse from God. Um, mm -hmm or death, you know, you're going to a better place, but really mm -hmm. the reality, the reality could be different, but we, it's, it's just, it's just scary, man. Like it's scary to want to think about that. And if you don't have a story to tell your son and they it's mm -hmm. like, all right, you know, you're going to die and, and you might not ever, you might just rot into the ground and mm -hmm. you're going to be lost well, forever. It's not very comforting. For to, to me, that's not, to me, that's not a problem for me personally. I don't know about him, but you're the one that's given me this, um, neurosis about it because you said something about how kids need to have that kind of security about needing their parents around <clears throat> and then when he keeps on bringing it up i keep on hearing your voice in the back of my head you know reminding me kids need to feel that security of knowing that their parents are always going to be around and i'm like i think kids oh, at that age yeah they want to feel safe you know yeah, they want to I, feel safe and protected and and i, I think what you were, you were saying the other day is like how do i still protect how do I still make him feel loved and protected mm. uh, for my four-year-old son? How do I make him feel mm. loved and protected and still able to ask, you know, to give him real answers mm. about death and say that, well, we are mortal and we're not going to be here forever. And um, it's, there is a chance that, you know, mom and dad can get sick and die, but the chances mm. of that are slim. So it's, it's mm. there. I think, well, the question is, do you think that if you say traumatic things to your son, he will rem remember them for the long term and, and be somewhat traumatized because of your ideologies? Well, my problem is that um, oh, I don't know if I'd say I'm hardline, but I definitely hammer the point home. It's kind of like that's kind of my method of um, uh, teaching. You know, I kind of repeat repeat myself all the time because I realize that people don't hear me i realized that if i want someone to hear what i'm saying i need to say it for about a month before it, it gets through to them so I, i'm always repeating myself so it's yeah mm. you, i think you make a fair claim there a lot of people only hear what they want to hear like mm. you've said lots of stuff to me and and usually when there's something that i find interesting which is a lot of the stuff that you say i'll, I'll kind of i'll definitely think about it and, and google it a little bit and see if i can fit it in if i find that there's value to it but it's mm. it's kind of like there's so much information out there that people there's so much it's it's just yeah they just discard stuff that seems to be surplus because it doesn't kind of um, it doesn't seem to benefit their immediate their immediate mm. um, reality. Mm. I mean that's that's the the issue. It's not because mm. you know you're not or some people are not saying things that are insightful, intelligent, or, or valuable. Mm. Um, mm. But you're right. We only we I, de I definitely agree with that. We only um, we only hear what we really want to hear. That's True, and what we remember, what we, what we don't remember. And not just that, but we only hear what we are able to hear. And that's something about 
um, how much effort you've put into uh, training yourself to understand things uh, in the world around you. I um I started reading this old 1876 book on rhetoric yesterday, and I've got this another fist pump moment where you know the book started out. <clears throat> he's talking in 150 years ago, and he says, you know, one one of the biggest common flaws among amongst people is people have this belief where they think that um you know either you're naturally good at something or you're not either you're a genius or you're not and i remember i must have come to that conclusion when i was 22 or 23 and i've had several conversations with people i've had arguments with people and they just don't want to believe that um you know to be able to learn something takes hard work no matter what kind of genius you are you have to put time and effort into it you have to have proximity to a particular discipline to understand its you know vernacular or you know concepts or conventions and things like that so I'm no, not, I'm it, not... well yeah it could be i i agree and it's, it could be a number of things right it also could be limiting beliefs like i heard one of my friends today just say that he said i'm not the sharpest tool in the shed i'm not, not the sharpest that. tool in the shed that's mm. a limiting belief. You know, that means that he, he's got a belief system there that he has difficulty learning and he feels that he's unintelligent. And therefore mm. his belief system is that he is not going to be as intelligent or as, as able to mm. remember things as easy as, as naturally or as organically as someone, someone else. Mm. So well, I feel like, I, I feel like I am in that situation personally, <clears throat> but I, I, I try to find different techniques and different devices and tools to, to work my way around it so i'm not you know I, I never sort of self-deprecate or have a pity party about it i don't feel bad about it but at any chance that i get i'll always tell the people around me that's who i am and that's a problem that i have because the people around me seem to have really high functioning memories and i'm this pretentious prick that you know is always like um do you know who catherine of aragon was or something stupid like that and you know, these are things that I've studied for 10, 15 years, and it's taken me a long time to draw these names into my head. But, um, you know, I, I don't want to sound like I'm smarter or better or sound like I think that I'm smarter or better. So I always, you know, willingly self-deprecate in front of people just to show them that I don't really think I'm better than them. Yeah, well... It's, it's like memory is a funny thing. It's like we remember what we need to remember, mm. you know, like when I learning Spanish has been a, an interesting journey because, you know, it's, it's repetition and context and, and mm. making connections. And yeah. And it's, it's, that's how education is like, that's why I was asking you about how do you learn stuff? Like how does stuff stick in your head? How do you remember stuff? Like, you know, if mm. you're listening to audiobooks again and again and mm. again, and there's connections and there's baselines, that's all beautiful parts of learning. I think, discussion mm. is learning like these podcasts mm. are valuable because i feel like there's mm. there's there's learning in the like i'm looking right now the reasons of the for the decline of feudalism and i mm. haven't studied that and it's like the crusades um land-based economy the black death the peasants revolt more trade mm. uh these are I just ideas sacrosanct no but i'm I saying think, i think that feudalism almost started after the crusades reasons for this is for the decline of feudalism right is, mm. But the, the think, point is, I think feudalism started after the Crusades. Anyway, go on, go on. Well, 
the, I, I guess this is saying the reasons for the decline of futurism mm. is saying that the Crusades and mm. travel during the Middle Ages opened new trade options to England. So to mm. be fair, right? But what am I saying here is that if if like I'm looking at this information, I don't know a lot of it. I know that I've got some connections here, but like it's mm. just if you've got things to 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 connect, like you said, if you're not able to connect, learning is because you haven't got any previous learning. If you mm. don't know how to learn, then you're kind of fucked. Right, you know, or you're limited in the sense that you're you're not able to start weaving things together. It just all goes mm. over your head. Like, yeah, I, yeah, it's incredible. Like when I when I went to university, like I remember, like even moments when some things just started to like click in in ways that mm. was just really interesting. The what it was doing to my brain, and I was thinking about my Romeo and Juliet. Um, my experiences when I'm teaching that text, like reading it for the first time, so much of it goes over your head, but then the second time and the third time, so much of it clicks in and then you got it at a deeper level. But like, it takes, like you said, man, it takes sometimes learning hard things take a lot of work and it's not like you can't do it. It's just, you got to be putting the effort in and can be consistent and, um, and mm -hmm. reinforce that memory and use it. And that's hard. So, so, <laughs> My story that I've told forever is um, my road to Damascus story. Do you know what the road to Damascus was? <laughs> no. Okay, so Paul, Paul's like the major church father kind of thing that opened the, the church up to um, uh, heathens and pagans and things like that. He never actually met Jesus. And on his way to Damascus, he saw a bright light, was thrown off his horse, and it turned out that was Jesus. And Jesus told him, how to go ahead and what to do with the church. Pretty much go confront the the disciples, Simon, Peter, all those guys, and um, you know, change history as we know it. Um, it's just just a, just a phrase that I use a lot. I like to use. So the road to Damascus is when your eyes are opened, it's when you realise it's an extended metaphor. It's an extended metaphor. So my road to Damascus was um. As I said, sitting there watching sitcoms, Simpsons, crappy shows like that for entertainment. And I saw this really easy switch in between, um, you know, I'm, I'm watching that crap just for entertainment, but I, I decided to switch the entertainment into something which was real rather than something which was synthetic. So I went straight to the source. So Simpsons is good because it uses historical references and that's how they learn. They're reading books on history so they can write lots their bloody... Of satire, lots of satire, yeah, parodies, yep. Yeah, they, they, they study all the time so they can keep their jobs. But we're sitting there fucking, you know, bleeding our brains out, um, paying their money to be doing that. And I just, I just sort of thought, well, you know, what, what do I, what conversations do I want to have with my grandkids when I get older or with older people? Do I want to be the person that can quote the Simpsons like Kirsty used to be able to do like a whole episode or do I want to be able to talk about, um, Cortez or, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, you know, Any, anything which is a bit more arcane or yeah, have, have something useful to talk about. One of the conversations that I was having with you recently was like, <laughs> is, do people have a responsibility to, to learn? and become more and and do they need to learn about hernan cortez like does it really benefit your life or or is it is it important for the individual to kind of reach their academic potential or become more um and what did you say you you were you saying that basically 
it's it's just a personal thing mm. yeah yeah well i i i i forgot what it was but i remember one of the podcasts we had and i, I think we started it out it's sort of like if, if i start it, it was the one where we were doing um social media is evil and i said as soon as i start criticizing those people for being wrong um i'm opening the door for me being wrong in some kind of way so you know how dare i judge it's kind of like who threw the first stone and just because i've found something which suits my life it's congruent with my way of life um how dare i pretend to um enforce that upon other people you know live by example try and chuck a few wise words of wisdom in there if mm. they enjoy it they could follow it but if that's not in them and by far the majority of people i know um just can't just can't do it it's like this mickey guy i was telling you about he plays guitar and i'm there trying to teach him scales and something very basic but he he, he, he thinks he's going to be the next bob dylan but he's not interested he, he's not interested in learning because he thinks he will be more artistic if he doesn't indoctrinate himself with um you know preconceived cultural conventions he thinks he can be more original with his blank slate <laughs> and, and i just uh just decided not to argue with him because i don't think he's right i i definitely i definitely agree with you in the sense of looking at people and not being judgmental because it it, it immediately creates like a them versus us situation mm. like i do this and they do that and that's wrong or that's different and you know they're missing out or they're they're kind of ignorant but what about have you ever felt this have you ever met somebody and you look at what they do and who they are and you can see they're smart but they're kind of like maybe a bit lazy or they've just distracted or whatever and have you ever just felt sad that that person is not reaching their you look at them and they're like that guy's got or that girl has got so much potential as a human and they can't see it and they're not working towards it. And you look at them and you're like, you, you were, you could flourish and grow, but you've got to give yourself a chance. Is that real? Or is that our projections of who we think they should be through ourselves mm. on them? Mm. Not, to, not to be arrogant or, you know, critical of your opinion, but um, that, that feels like you're, you're falling into the convention that you're trying to so desperately to run away from. So it's not my, not my opinion. I'm just saying that, have mm. you ever felt that? And, and, no. and is it, is it like a projection of ourselves to go, okay, that's, you know, like I'm, I'm asking that, is that a reasonable mm. thing to feel or think, or do you think that that's, you know, you're saying that that's someone's projection or my projection mm. in this mm. case of, of who they, they could be, because is that even mm. real? Like, mm. is that even real mm. is what I'm saying. And the grass is always greener and that's always you know for me that's always number one but um my biggest concern when it comes to meeting individuals is how healthy their personal relationships and how they, they treat other people and how how healthy their mental state is and uh how, how well they can uh maintain a level of contentment or happiness in their life that's my only concern with people not what job they have or you know what fake uh social conventions which we've 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 fallen for what about which... someone like what about someone that's at home smoking ice you know on the dole well that's that's a pretty extreme that's a pretty extreme example oh, what, what what about someone that you know maybe is just there they're in there it's it's not about their job 
It's just about who they can be as an individual, who what they can achieve mm-hmm. as an individual, and and not even what they can contribute to society, but who they can be for themselves. Um, you know, if if you, I'm sure you've met plenty of people that could perhaps um, achieve a lot more, whether it's financially or spiritually, emotionally, or skills based, mm. or contribute more and give more. Mm. You know, a, again, is that is that just a, pro, a projection of? Is that a projection of an individual's expectation on them? For me, for me, it is. For me, right. um, I, like I've got, as I said before, I've got this. <laughs> You know, every, everything, as a, as a skeptic, everything that I use as a philosophy is, a, is just a tool, just a device that I use to, to get me through life and to make life bearable to, to the best degree that I can. And, but, um, I, I, but are you kind of doing that with Mickey, though? Like when you talk about the, if he studied this, he could become more, he could be um, more like a better musician, he could have more potential. Or are you saying that mm-hmm. basically, are you doing the same thing there with Mickey? Or not? I, I think at the end of the day, it's up to the individual's choice. Again, it's always like lead by example, um, have conversations, have, have respectful, um, maybe a little bit of constructive criticism. But I think at the end of the day, it's up to the individual to always, um, <clears throat> as I've said before, you know, you can tell someone something a thousand times and I've, I've done this and they've, they've come back to me three months later and they've given me lectures about these whole topics you know telling me i'm wrong because they've got all the answers and it's like mate i was the one that told you this originally and um unless they're in a point in their life at a point in their life where they're open to these kinds of things they're not going to find it so you know standing around hoping that someone could find a particular truth (sighs) relative sense of it you know it's it's only ever going to be available to them if that all the all the pieces fall together and um it just works out that way i'm you know as i I was just saying then you know all my philosophies are just tools so i like to use determinism determinism is kind of like you know everything's is predestined you know our our life's going to turn out (laughs) you know the only way that it can and i kind of believe that but it's something that we don't know and and you know out of the blue something might show up and our lives might change for the for the better or for the worse but um, you know, like life's just like about opportunities and your ability to seize them at the right time or make the most of it, you know? Yeah. No, that makes sense. <clears throat> to be honest, like my personal opinion is that I've kind of learned, I feel like at a deeper level, like I understand this is that it's really your projection on them and you mm. can't, you can't, I think you can't have any, any, you can't have any real understanding of who that person is and how they really function. That's the first thing. Cause you can't mm-hmm. get inside their head, their biochemistry, their, their thought patterns. Um, what's happening in their at a pure physiological level is so different to what's happening in your body. Their mental state's different. Their emotional state's different. Their um, psychological state, their experiences. It's, it's kind of like, you can't, you, you can't just, give something to someone and expect that they perform or behave in a certain way. I don't mm. think it works like that. I think you mm. can maybe inspire, encourage if it's asked for, but I don't think mm. it, I don't think it's productive. I think it's your, I think it's your projection. Mm. That's what I'm coming to the conclusion that it's, it's, it's my or our or your projection of, of how you think they should behave and what they should do. And what is, what is an mm. opportunity for you is it could be a, um, it could be a setback or it could be a disaster. It could be a horrible experience for somebody else. 
Mm. I, I take from that, like originally, the, I think the projection comes from our of who we think that person is in the first place. So a good example is this Mickey guy that I'm working with. Um, he was a bit of a dropkick before he left. He went to Canada and he was 21 and he was lazy. He wouldn't work. He fuck around. He, you know, he's, he's a bit of a grifter, whatever the hell that means. And he take he take food. And um, recently he's kind of pulled his finger out and um, I'm kind of impressed with him. I've been telling him, you know, you're, you're a totally different person than who you were, um, you know, before you left. And in the past week or two, I've kind of noticed there's still something kind of lacking, like mentally, there's something kind of, you know, the blocks aren't quite fitting into the right holes properly. And he just can't get it. He's got this thing with conspiracy theories. So he just can't get his head, pretty much any conspiracy theory that he hears, he'll instantly jump on it. But there's this other thing where, you know, like we're saying before, like my memory is shocking. But his memory is fucking brilliant. He has he he can he can um, give you a definition of a word on the spot, and it sounds amazing. It sounds like he's almost read it straight from the dictionary. Me personally, I can't do that, but I can I can rattle off the history of Western Europe pretty well, and he'll have no idea what I'm talking about. Um, and I and I projected onto him um, at least a percentage of who I am, hoping that I could have some kind of closer bond with him and the closer that I get the more that I realize that it's just a it's a fictionalized attempt I think it's an evolutionary process which is used so that we um make friends and you know get close to people yeah maybe maybe expectations as well in the sense of like if you do what I think you should do then the chances of surviving would be higher because we can Mm. work together and we're aligned and we you know Mm. strength in numbers and then we're aligned in philosophy and um, and, in, and in strategic actions, right? Mm. But, you know, everybody's brains wired differently, man. He might have a great mm. memory in some sense of words and he might be brilliant at, at that and mm. might be horrible at math and he might be great at math. Mm. He, might be, mm. um, he might have good mind maps and spatial stuff. Or, yeah. yeah, it's very individual. Definitely. But then again, when I look down to it, um, I forgot there was one word. I gave him a really simple word. It was some historical context. And he asked, he pretty much asked me all week what that word was. It was just like a four or five little word. And he asked me all week what that word was. And I'm like, this is that kid that, you know, has, has a mega memory. who can remember names like that off the top of his head. And, um, you know, all, all I'm saying is people, people aren't who you think they are. And then if you want to take it to the next level is if you think you can convince them and sway them, to live in a particular way, um, you're coming at it from, from from the wrong angle because you're not talking to the person that you think you're talking to. I love. I was watching a, a, a Joe Rogan podcast with Sadguru, Sadguru, I think his name is, and one yeah, of the things the that he, day. yeah, and he he was talking about soil and he was talking about, you know, Joe Rogan took him took him in some crazy avenues about meditation, spiritual spots, and um, one of the things that he said that I liked, he says, I see everybody and especially the people that I I see frequently, he said, I always see them fresh. He's like, I never, ever Mm. think that I understand them or know them because you just don't. You only see a version Mm. of them at one time and we're capable of being so much more. And we're capable of, yeah. And I think, I thought that was really interesting because as soon as you start boxing people in 
as soon as you start saying, I know that person, and then you have, mm. you start developing expectations about that person. You have a, a mental projection in your mind of that, their identity and how they should behave. It's like, mm. that's just pernicious for the individual. It's not, it's for you, mm. not, not for, you know, it, it's, I don't think that's wise. I really like that, mm. um, that philosophy. Mm. Well, the, the thing about philosophy is there's always, there's always a, a thesis and an antithesis and, um, what's that third one that Hegel come up with thesis antithesis synthesis um you know there's always the opposite philosophy to whatever you can come up with and um Heraclitus said back in um like uh 450 440 BC you know um you know you, you can never jump in the same river twice you know things are always changing you know we're never the same person and they've kind of proved that with um with humans you know every seven years all the cells in our body are totally replaced kind of thing so and that's you know that could be a metaphor for um psychologically you know we're not the same um human mentally or psychologically as we were 10 15 years ago or, or whatnot yeah and, and and that very simply like the way that i am with my students is kind of kind of one way and when i kind of break out of that mold it's, it's very surprising for them because they, they feel very reliant that I'm like this and I'm, mm. you, know, you know, I'm like this most of the time. And then bang, if I change out of that, it's a real shock because they expect, you know, they, they, they have this false reliance or comfort that um, my mm. spectrum of change goes from A to B. And then when I throw an E or F, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a massive disruption. Mm. Um, and it's, yeah, it, there's, but there's, there's an element of, of trust with, uh, the A to B, yeah, and the mm. E to F and the G, it's it's uh, and then you can use that in your to your advantage, of course. But <clears throat> mm. it's just interesting yeah. that as humans, we seem to innately um want to box our box people in or uh, make assumptions about how people are, you know. But Judge. Mm. yeah, it's one one bad thing could trigger you to do another bad thing, right? Mm. There are a lot of men that are in jail because their wives have cheated on them. They've come home and just stabbed them to death hmm. and ended up in jail. And you would, you would never have thought that they would be capable of doing that. Hmm. But yeah, it's, it's, I guess it's not wise to, um, not wise to box people in. That's for sure. Hmm. It's kind of, yeah, to like my life, just, just uh, live every day as it is, you know, take it as it comes and, I said the other day, I said something to a friend and it's like, uh, it is what it is, you know? And I assume I say it all the time. And he turned to me and said, he said, he said, never say that. And he said some stupid quote after that. And it's meant to be this thing that's going in the rounds in um, Instagram and Facebook where um, people who say it is what it is are dangerous people because they're willing to accept anything. And I, I forgot what it was, but it was just the typical modern day memes about whatever phrase is being used at the time. So dangerous. So what do you like? So you're always learning something new. What are you fixated um, on at the hmm. moment in your, in your hmm. personal academic ad, ad, ad endeavors? Okay. So, um, Oh man, you know, we started this, we started this podcast and it's had a few, you know, fits and starts and, you know, stalls here and there. And, um, I think we finally last two weeks ago, we decided to do a, 
the topic on the Ukrainian-Russian crisis. And um, I don't think I would have really got into it much if um, uh, we didn't commit to it. And this is part of the reason why I wanted to do the podcast, because it's forcing me to actually actually learn things properly rather than just treat it as a as a pastime and as a, as a, as a passive peripheral kind of entertainment um so yeah man it's um a rabbit hole and it's such a deep rabbit hole because it's it was the, the soviet union was around for such a long time that there's so much to look into and just to think um it was one of the two superpowers of the world um um, I, I was kind of dabbling backwards and forwards, trying to find the history of Ukraine, trying to justify Ukraine, trying to look into Putin. And then now I've come to um, pretty much Gorbachev, Mikhail Gorbachev and Boris Yeltsin and the fall of, of, Soviet, of the Soviet Union. And um, I've kind of, I haven't come to a dead end, but I've kind of come to a, an idol. I'm kind of idling. I haven't got the fervor sort of pumping me into it. So, so give me, give me the gems. What have you learned that you, what's like some insights that you've learned that are super interesting that that you've synthesized? God. Um, The the funny thing about our podcast is it's always um, the spirit of the stairs, you know, as always, I, I walk away and I think half an hour later, Oh, I wish I said that kind of thing, you know, that's my um, fault because I, I like asking all sorts of interesting oh, questions. No, it's my fault because I haven't I haven't trained myself to um think quickly on the spot. But um, you asked me what caused the downfall of the Soviet Union, and I oh, typical me, you know, I have to have an answer for everything just so I can keep up this um supercilious, arrogant person persona that I have. And I gave you my few answers. I think, what was it? Afghanistan, lack of money. I, I think it was a pretty disjointed, disconnected um, answer. And um, yeah, there, there seems to be a, a very complex array of sort of things that were going on. As always, you know, no one really knows what caused the fall of the Soviet Union. There were so many different things that happened and everything anyone that's written a book about it up until now is just propagating a theory or a hypothesis, which is what they think caused the end of it. Not even the people in charge know why it collapsed, but um, an interesting, interesting point that I saw the other day. Yeah, of course, Afghanistan was a big one, but um, Chernobyl, Chernobyl, they reckon was an, it was a massive role in the, the fall of the Soviet Union. Sort of the mega, mega catastrophe, which, um, you know, sort of just it just showed up the the corruption, the uh, what would you call it, the the low standards of of technology that they have. You know, or even negligence, right? Or, yeah, well, well, you're right. Do we, the negligence is that a part of it? Yeah, yeah. negligence and, and poor safety standards. I don't know. I'm asking. Mm. Hundred percent. I was just hoping that you'd run with it, so we can keep the conversation a bit more even. But no, like I'm, I'm listening to you. Keep yeah. Going. Um. Well, we'll add to it as I talk because you've got some valuable things to put in there. But yeah, no, I'm glad you said negligence because I was going to say something similar, but it's it's something I think innate within an authoritarian um, society. And they're saying about it, about Putin right now is you can't tell Putin the truth if it's negative. If, if, if shit's hitting the fan, you can't go to Putin and say, we're losing this war. You've got to go to him and say, 
everything's going according to plan and we've lost no soldiers and everything's quite fine because you don't want to you know be on the other end of his ire and um whatever happens to those people you know to, well, i guess in that case we just get kicked out of um government but you know they've worked hard to be there and they're probably oligarchs and have um a lot of money invested in, in this in their position so um they reckon with the war currently that um he, he's so disconnected if, you, if you've watched any of the news like he's always having these meetings with his um uh generals com yeah yeah generals or whatever cabinets and um they're <laughs> they're seeing they're yeah they're petrified but they're sitting i'm thinking of my house it must be 10 meters long they, they sit further than 10 meters away from him and he won't get any closer than that with his clo most closest advisors why is that do you think well, i guess he must have some kind of germaphobe thing about covid but um there must be some sign of kind of psychosis which he's bringing in um i i, I assume you can say something no 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 i assume that he's um i assume all the all the uh the statements of his you know murdering his enemies is true so i guess he's probably paranoid that people might want to try and get him um mm. jordan peterson i know you love jordan peterson and when i say love i, I don't mm. mean hate uh, i'm actually you know I'm, I'm growing up a little bit and i'm actually starting to appreciate a lot of the stuff he says but you know like really I, I, I love jordan peterson yeah i love jordan peterson because he's articulate and he's persuasive and he provides mm interesting entertaining arguments but mm. you got to you got to take them as like i listen to him sometimes and i'm like man this man is brilliant but he's also like i don't believe any he's just also full of shit right now mm. like i don't think anyway but he was he was talking about the authoritarian figure and he says that mm. in life if you become the authoritarian you never really win because you always become you're always living in fear of um someone taking away your power and you're not ruling mm. you're not a benevolent king you're ruling with fear and manipulation and and, and through scarcity and and manipulation depriving um mm. and he says it's, it's kind of like what you've always said it's like you know you you win in the short term but sooner or later you go to sleep and it's mm. I, I see like a group of monkeys and they're together in a tribe and then the alpha male beats up all the other better males and you know has all the 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 females until that one day or the better males, mm. you know, gang up yeah. and then they, they just, they, and they just, you know, the strength of numbers and then mm. they, they kill him and then they, they mm. take over and then they fight. And it's like this same pattern that happens with humanity. It's kind of ridiculous that so much of our, you know, th these behaviors are biological, I think almost. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, it's crazy that, I don't know. Do you feel like with Putin that, that he's when you, as, as humans, we're not, emotionally stable or psychologically stable to have that much power i think from the last thing you said is that's a throwback from history you know i i think it was that stephen pinker guy which he would have been on um joe rogan a few times i think he's a primatologist and he says a lot of the times in in those occasions where the alpha male gets challenged to his harem or whatever it is and he gets beaten generally um he doesn't get killed it's generally just he gets put in his place and he's like now you fucking you know now you're at the bottom of the pecking order respect that you know you're never going to come back so it's never as brutal as as, as human society so what are you saying um, that humans are, are worse 
we're too smart for our own good. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Um, actually, no, that doesn't make sense because I, I believe that um, be, being good and altruistic is actually smarter because the more friends you have, the more people you can rely on and the more people will protect you. So the more enemies you have, the more people you have to fear about. Um, isn't that what, like, isn't that why the natural state, well, not natural state, but like it's the harmonious yeah, state yeah. is that right. Altruism and connections, social mm. connections and, and mm. um, and a sense community. of belonging mm. Mm. because yeah, because the, the opposite, the alternative is what you're speaking about. And the problem is I think we're too smart for our own good in the sense that we're smart in the sense of how we're able to eliminate our position and mm. um find out ways to kill each other and and destroy each other mm. in that in that sense mm. yeah it's a, it's a very 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 complex deep broad and rich history to go through um so yeah um sorry i've lost my track of thought oh good man i was just i just i think that no man should have as kanye west says hmm. no man should have so much power you know, it just it doesn't. It's not good for the brain, and it's it it corrupts us as individuals. Mm -hmm. you know, I think if you know Putin can't, like, you, if you can't handle the truth about what's happening in your own, you know, in your own war that you've created, um, because mm -hmm. that offends you, or it's not what you want to hear. You know, like what is that? The sick version of cancer culture. Um, it's kind of you're not living in reality. You know, it's, it's not, you're not even living in reality. It's like, mm. this doesn't suit my narrative. I don't want to hear about it. If I hear about it, I'm going to explode. Um, mm. Cause if you're reasonable and rational, wouldn't you want to know exactly what's happening, how many casualties you're taking the losses and how to mm. use that, how to actually get the right information to, to win this war. Mm. So I'm, I am pretty skeptical. I try, I try to be a skeptic and I, I, I try to watch the, the, the news is that I assume uh, less, um, subjective i don't watch fox but like things like dwtv and bbc and i'm always pretty skeptical when i first hear something and they said it was a couple of days before the invasion of iran of ukraine sorry and um pretty much what putin did he sat back at his you know 20 meter long table and he got all his um generals as you said to get up and convince him to invade ukraine he made them all get up and give him valid points and reasons and pretty much convince him why he should they should he should invade uh, ukraine and at the end of it he's like oh you've made some interesting points there i'll give it a couple of days and since this is a democracy i will think it over fairly and i'll come to a uh, a logical conclusion but they they said there's a couple of people i actually saw one of them there's one of these generals that um disagreed with him and they reckon it was an absolute farce. It was an absolute farce. There's one general that said, um, I don't believe that we should invade Ukraine. And then Putin says, what, you think that we should let Ukraine have their own um, sovereignty? And then this general he, he lost his shit. You know, he, you could see like, he thought he might've been, you know, the, the next in, in line for the, for the, uh, firing squad kind of thing he's stuttering and he's mumbling his words and finally he says yep yeah, i think that they should have this uh, sovereignty and then after that putin just tears him apart and says get out of my sight <laughs> and that was three days before the invasion of, of of the ukraine so they're saying it was all set up he he, he made his cabinet convince him to do it his cronies maybe
But who who, who benefits from this? Like I, I see it as like, you know, who benefits from this? Like, is it is it about ego and is it about control from mm. one man? Is it about you know the Ukraine being part of Russia and and now mm. not part of, or is it no. is it people? I, I I see it and I could be wrong. I see it. It's got to have some basic shit like it's you know basic resources mm. like access points, mm. um, gas you know, um, trading ports, it's got to, it's, is it founded in that or is it founded more in ego? It's founded in everything, but, um, I just want to touch back on what you said before, something about, um, I feel like you made the the comment, like, you know, he's he's going in, he's fucked up. It sounds like you said, why doesn't he just, why doesn't he just pull out? Did you say something like that? No, I said, why didn't he listen to the, 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 um, Mm. The actual, the reality of the feedback mm. from his soldiers so he can make a decision, like he can make mm. real decisions about what to do instead of like being selective mm. about his information and being offended. Mm. I don't know if that's true, but mm. that doesn't make any sense for a military leader to do mm. that. Well, I guess I, I extrapolated an argument from what you said. So um, what I was going to say was um, the problem with where he is now is, you know, what they say is Putin wants to kill us totally. Ukrainians hold upon bombardment um pretty much you know he, he went in he invaded the east so they already took the crimea and the dom the donbass which is the east and then they reckon the main goal was a three-day blitzkrieg into kiev which is the capital take the, gov- the, the, the government hostage and pretty much you know that that's meant to be the the one thing that wins wars that's one thing that hitler didn't do in in russia in the second world war um uh it's been six weeks uh he's fucked out so he's re remassing amassing his uh, his troops and he's going to attack uh the east they say they say he's going to focus on the east so i guess once he gets a firm uh foothold in there then he'll probably start again and, and keep on trying to get ukraine so but to go back to the last thing that you said um i, I could answer it in any kind of um very very shallow um particular ways but you know the the history of this area is so complex that it's you can always digress in any particular in any particular way but um i think most wars um who are started by an individual at least are generally based on resources or, or or territory or land you know so hitler hitler wrote in mein kampf so um Hitler did a whole bunch of shit up until 1941. I thought it was like it was like, it was like July the 22nd, 1941, that he invaded Russia. He invaded so many countries up until that point, but it was all leading up to his um, tome that he wrote uh, 20 years ago, which his whole psychotic ideal, ideology was to invade Eastern Europe and create uh, like a colonial territory like the the British did, like the Spanish did, like the Dutch did, like every other country had done, but Germany never had to do it. There's a classic saying, you know, Germany just wants their place in the sun because they were so late at getting into the Industrial Revolution. And Hitler thought by moving into, sorry. Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, and imperialism and, you know, con- conquering the world. Yep. Keep going. Yeah, I think it's yep. kind of like we said, it's kind of like we said last time, it was, it was a hangover of imperial, imperialism. 
um, the, right, the right word. So the rest of the world thought, hey, we're done with that now. So um, everyone else is over it. Anyone that does that must be a criminal. And Hitler's there holding on to this, um, you know, theory that obviously has hadn't gone away. And and Putin is still holding on to that same philosophy. I think it was, um, I think it was 2014. It was like some uh, G8 or G20 kind of thing where he actually said that Ukraine isn't even actually a country. So he denies that they are actually a sovereign nation in themselves. He he's kind of saying that they are. Uh, like you know, a pseudo creation, a creation of of the EU or a creation of NATO, of NATO, just to um fuck up Russia, I guess. At the end of the day, yeah. Well, it makes sense that he doesn't want to recognize it because it's just it's just taking away taking away power basically to from Russia, I guess. Mm. It's mm. It, the majority of the Russian population. I believe, uh, basically, with the propaganda that's happening in Russia, are they are mm. they for the war? Are they pro? Yeah, Asian? I think so. I think so. But that's actually I read something interesting the other day. But um, I think that's what they're getting. You know, that that's any uh, what do you call it? Private media companies being closed down. The only news you can watch is pro pro state, pro government news. Mm. Um, <clears throat> Cuba. Yeah, it's like Cuba, um, like. I've experienced that in Cuba, man. It's, it's weird, man. It's really weird. I, mm. I would love to go to Russia. One of our teachers actually, uh, he just he, like six months ago, he got a contract to work in Russia mm. and the salary is like 80,000 US dollars. Oh, yeah. Um, there. yeah, it was 80,000 US dollars. It was something ridiculous in one of the best mm. international schools there. And guess what happened to him? He's not going anywhere. So mm. yeah, he's American. So he's not allowed to go. He's not allowed mm. to set foot in that country. Um, Lucky he got back. Um, lucky he got back. He got he got mm. he found a he, the director reemployed him. Mm. Um, but what you're saying there, you were talking about oh the, the propaganda. Like man, experiencing that is just unbelievable. It's like mm. it's like watching um, mm. it feels like watching lies being shoved down your throat, and there is you don't have a voice, and mm. it feels like there's no. Um, it's like it, feel, it feels like authority. It feels like you get hit over the head with, this is how it is. This is how it works. And this is it. Don't question it. Otherwise I'm going to slap you across the face. And I, I imagine how, yeah, it's like um, George Orwell's 1984. I imagine how it would be like that in Russia where it's, mm. you're just getting bombarded with certain type of propaganda, a very, mm. again, uh, very dangerous, manipulative, powerful, extremely engaging nationalistic um nationalistic yeah just barrage of 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 um of information uh, or arguments and you just got to eat it i think i forgot i think it might have been hitler he said if you tell a lie enough times you know people will eventually believe the story it, it will become the truth kind of thing so i think there's another one that sort of um uh is, is against that which is a much more clever quote but there's a truth to the to the average you know individual they generally just hear uh some secondhand news from someone and they don't they don't question it 
And that's, um, that, that's what I, one of the main scary um, ideologies or the ideas that I took from Animal Farm. Georgia was mm. Animal Farm where they just, they reinvent the past. Like they were there, the animals mm. were there. They saw what happened. Um, mm. They were, they witnessed it. And then it was, and then the next day I was like, no, 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 no. That didn't really happen. This mm. actually what happened. And now mm. because of that, we're doing this. And it's like, of course that like, what are you even thinking about? And they just rammed it down their throats again and again and again. It's just abuse mm. of authority. It's abuse of, of power. And it's, mm. it's so dangerous and scary because, you know, like if, if you're not, if you don't have the option to think about something else, you know, can you blame people for not, for not being able to question it or being it's fear as well, man. You can't, mm. you can't just go against um, the ideology of a government, man in Cuba. Yeah. In mm. Cuba, when they protest, like I've heard stories and I don't know if it's true, but I've heard stories from Cubans. Literally they, they, um, they, the whole police just, if there's a protest, they just surround mm. them and the, yeah, they'll either water cannon them or um, put lights on them at night. And they'll, they'll do that really intimidating tactics to just, um, to coerce them into never doing it again mm. and i'm sure people people get kidnapped the, the important people you know but mm. it's wild man you're in you're in a you're in an autocratic autocratic country you, you don't have you don't have the the uh, you don't have the liberty to criticize mm. the government is, mm. is, isn't that how it is mm. yeah fuck scott morrison fuck the australian government <laughs> what do you I mean I'm, I'm just uh, um i like you talking you parodying an example of, the, yeah. of my freedom the freedom that, I, freedom that i have to say that i think that um john howard should be executed for the war crimes that he committed taking us into iraq right and they can't i was having this this a similar conversation with my students today and i said they if you say something like that in, in colombia or in australia they can't take away your your citizenship mm. but in some countries i reckon they can take away a lot of your rights very mm. quickly. I think it was 15 years. I was saying, if you say, even mentioned the word war in Russia at the moment. But to go back to what you were saying, um, I, had, I had two points. Um, one of the points was, um, you know, I, I, I find it uncomfortable enough to, when I'm talking to someone who is telling me the truth, when I know that they don't know what they're talking about, I get really uncomfortable and you know, I've, I've had my moments where I've tried to argue with people and you just realize that their mind is too set in their ways where I don't know what part of their mind is, is blocked off to reason or to reality or uh, to basic human discourse. Ego, but, um, ego, man. Ego, but yeah. I've, I've taught myself just to, just to pull away. You know, I'm not the fact that I'm not strong enough to, to, to argue it. Maybe I'm not, but, um, generally it's just a lot easier just to walk away from someone that's speaking shit like that and, it's, um, it's it feels pointless that's why and that's why i work with kids man if you're working with 14 year old kids and if you you know you give them things to think about you can try to inspire them or manipulate them into into coming up with their own ideas um mm. and i think that's you, they they think about things with an open mind mm, mm. i'm in a bit of an interesting situation with maureen but um, one, more, one more point, um, I was reading the Cora, Cora.com website, and this guy was making some, they ask questions and you've got to give an answer. And this guy was asking a similar question to what you just asked about, you know, how, how do Russians see the war? And this guy must have been American. And he said, when 
the Iraqi-Afghanistan war happened, he was on the side of the government. He was pro-war at the time. And in reading that, I was absolutely shocked. Like I was shocked when it happened because I, in those days, I used to hang out in the city a lot and I was hanging out in circles of quite educated people and everyone was pro-war and I could not fucking understand it. I, you know, to me, war means mass murder. That's all it means. <laughs> it means nothing yeah, And but mass murder of soldiers innocence. and, and you know, innocents, right? It mm. doesn't, not mass murder of the people that are controlling all of this and creating created it. it. Mm. So yeah. even if that was even before there were weapons of mass destruction. I think, I think I read, I watched a, a news broadcast the other day and they, they said that they knew there weren't any weapons of mass destruction. I think they said Saddam Hussein thought there was not weapons of mass destruction because again, his, um, people in the hierarchy were too scared to tell him that he didn't have it. And the, the Americans and whatever spy agencies actually had that intel and had that information to know that they didn't actually fucking have it. So they used it. Well, this is the, this is the main difference between, you know, our governments that are, you know, capitalistic democratic governments and authoritarian governments is that you have to convince the people that what, mm. if you, if you're going to commit war crimes, um, what you're doing is ethical and, and it's mm. justified. Right. And human emotion is a powerful thing and resentment and uh, jealousy and mm. anger and fear very easily used against the, the public to create a, a narrative and also to create a hero also to create a hero mm. to, to save everybody villain. yeah the villain mm. and the hero it's it's a classic hollywood script man. and, and mm. people people don't understand that war is like i didn't when i when i heard about the ukraine russia invasion one of the i have literally had this like this physical aversion because i'm like i don't even want to know about it because i know that the bombing and the and the and the and the death and destruction is is not it's not going to be it's not going to be the people in government it's going to be the citizens and it's going to be mass mm. exodus it's going to be um people living without homes and it's going to be children getting blown to bits and their eyes are smashed out and um you know they're losing limbs and it's just it's just it's just horrible there's nothing positive to come out of it it's like to analyze it even politically feels unjust because it's it's a humanitarian crisis created by people so i'm mm. just like that that was my first instinctive reaction of just sadness of what is this going to cause the earth and, and, the, and the world just really um despondent but mm. you know like it's even that part like it's it's sort of forgotten man because you look at social media look at social media how many dead bodies do you see how much blood do you see being you know it's it's limited because they can't even show that shit mm -hmm. on, you know, they can't even, they show a dead body and it's like, it's blurred out. That's not how life is. If you were there, that mm -hmm. dead body would be there, right? Mm -hmm. There would be the rubble and the, you know, read Persepolis. Uh, if you have, if you, I think you have, you know, Persepolis in that book where the, the Iranian revolution, when, when um, they were getting bombed by the Iraqis, you know, her neighbor was, she's a 13 year old girl, uh, sees her neighbor getting blown up the neighbor's house and then she walks by and there's the her best her, one of her friends just about you know he sees her hand coming out of the rubble and bunch of blood she's been bombed and she's dead and bracelet that mm. she, you know she gave her like it's that's the reality of war but mm. i don't know man it's just it's it's such a shame that um it's such a shame that becomes becomes people just become pawns mm. Well, I think that the big point there 
uh, digress a bit, kind of, I think Vietnam kind of opened up, you know, the Pandora's box of, um, you know, filming the war and at six o'clock in the afternoon when everyone was sitting down to eat their dinner, they'd be, they'd be watching, I've seen a lot of the footage, um, you know, the footage of, um, uh, you know, the Viet Cong being blown up and being pulled out of trenches, you know, pretty much torn in half and limbs and guts and blood everywhere and, you know, that, that famous footage of the girl burning with napalm and the guy that gets executed with the shot to his head, you know, I think they, they stopped doing that. There must have been an agreement in the government to say, we're not going to do that anymore because that's going to make people not want to go to war anymore. Yeah, I think that I could be wrong, but I think that they they could they only started to to let in or allow certain journalists at certain times. Not not at certain times, but certain journalists. They probably they probably started to closely monitor that because if the mm. public is against you, like then if you lose public support, um, it's going to cause the government problems. Man, here in in Colombia, two days ago or three days ago in the capital Bogota they they changed the law so that it was illegal for um, motorbike riders to have a passenger because of lots of crimes that happen with motorbikes and mm. um and you know yeah there's these two men and they they go up with a gun or, or whatever a knife and they rob the other one person they rob people and they get back on the bike and they disappear forever it's very mm. hard to catch them um and man the the riots and the mm. protests mm. were mm. unbelievable right and like I'm talking thousands of people on the street over the whole city and then mm. the riots at night and it's it's a little bit more complicated than, than that but the riots at night where you know ugh, just buildings destroyed car, you know cars set on fire you know just just anarchy complete anarchy at night if you're out there watch out for your life because you could die um, and then literally two days later the government found a resolution right so, when the people are angry, man, uh, and they don't have to do it with violence, but when you lose mm. the public, like if you lose mm. the, the the people of Rome, if you lose the masses and they turn on you, you know, it becomes a whole another just political drama. So hence the mm. propaganda has got to be so good, right? You got to manipulate yeah. the, the people. Mm. I always go back to, um, it's a Chinese concept called heaven's mandate. I would have told you before, but they've got this philosophy i don't know who, who it came from but it's like as long as everything's going well you know the emperor or the king is mandated to be the king or the emperor to, to look over the realm and he has the the blessing of the gods but as soon as something goes wrong that means you know the gods want him out so it could be anything it could be civil unrest it could be an earthquake it could be a, a flood it could be a famine it could be anything anything that stirs the people up enough to create a civil war to overthrow that particular government and, in, and put in another government that's their um that's their excuse that you know they bring in some supernatural you know mystic mystical way of explaining it you know yeah i don't know heaven's mandate is an interesting concept because throughout um the first emperor of um china was a guy called ching shi huang Qing Shi Huangdi, and uh, it was like two two fifteen BC. He was the first emperor. So Qing Qing is where the, the name China comes from, um, and it's it's just the main kind of concept, you know, the real right there. 
to, legit, to legitimize the, the rule, you could have just read it on that last page. The political philosophy that used in ancient and imperial China to legitimize the rule of the king or the emperor. According to the doctrine, Tian or heaven, which embodies the natural orders and the will of the universe, bestows the mandate of just such a ruler, on a just ruler, the son of heaven. Right. Does that mean they like have they're kind of um, embodied by 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 God, basically? Well, they're given power through God, I guess. Yeah, mm. that's the only way to get that much power. And if they lose power, it's because they've done something wrong. You know, it's there's always something which um yeah, it's kind of like the the intrigue and uh, all that kind of stuff that you see in, in ancient ancient Greek kind of mythology you know the gods are always fighting amongst each other yeah interesting i wonder if i can take the conversation in another direction and and ask you about uh, ask you a question about how you know you were talking about mickey and having a kid um and i just wanted to flush out the ideas of maybe not nihilism and you know is having a kid a selfish thing this is one of the conversations that we're having recently and we're talking about you know mm. is is having children selfish is it is it really like instinctive and primal and, and the really the, the only reason why we do it is because we feel like it's going to benefit us mm. well again i'm coming at it from a totally different angle so um i'm definitely on the the con the con side of the argument so um I don't know how many times I've said it before, but I didn't want kids. I did it to keep my wife happy. I figured I didn't want her to divorce me. Um, so I figured I would be doing her an injustice by making her live a life without children. And I guess it's this honor thing in China as well. So I, um, I sat there and I, and I thought through it for a long time and I decided, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to you know, do the best that I possibly can. And, um, to go back, the only reason, not the only reason, my justification for not having kids, because I always hated the idea of having kids because I was too selfish and I wanted to have my own time. Um, I didn't see the benefit in having kids, in, in raising them and, and any of the heartache and the pain and the suffering and torment or whatever. I like my own free time. Um, but um, yeah, I committed to... Um, to, to giving all that I've got to Mickey. And as I said to you before, yeah, now my mind is totally adapted to the situation and I, I'm pretty much the opposite to who I was six years ago, yeah, five years ago. Okay. Do you, do you think that having kids makes you a better person? No. I think that's, um, that's a nonsensical phrase. So like a, does, does having children require you to be a more altruistic, mm. generous, loving, empathetic, patient person? And does it teach us valuable traits that mm. perhaps we wouldn't have if we didn't have children? If, if, if I was your father right now and you're talking to him, would you ask the same question? If I was your father right now. Mm. Yeah. Your real but, father. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Why not? From, from what you told me about your father, he was never, never realized who he was as an individual and was only ever... Re reacting and never was quite empathetic or 
you know, compassionate towards you guys or anything like that. So. I, I would still, I would think that he would say that, yeah, having children makes you a better person. Um, but I think that he did a bad job in doing that, mm-hmm. right? And, and being a father until like later on, until he, he matured as as an adult. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say that he probably would he probably would feel more of the the burden of responsibility and the sacrifices and the lack of freedom that he experienced uh, more than anything like more than anything altruistic and doing it out of love and patience. So I mm-hmm. think that's what. I, I feel that's how he would respond. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you choose to be a parent and you, you know, you do it and you're like, I want to be a good parent. I want to be, a, does that, you know, surely mm-hmm. that, you know, we, we have to, like you said, adapt and change and, and be better. Mm-hmm. If you want to raise a, a child that is uh, better than you in many, many ways, I guess you always want something more than what, you had for them um for me personally i just feel like a slave um it's it's like a it's, it's almost like stockholm syndrome it's like um i've been captured by these hostages and i've fallen in love with them and they're my best friend <laughs> i guess you're kind of like yeah and the bonds have to form whether you like it or not <laughs> he's got me hostage and i'm like i don't want to go anymore you know like, I've, I've just gotten used to him and I guess um, the, the only way to respond to is, is really out of love because any other, any other response would be, would be painful and traumatic. I imagine. I think the problem is um, we're, we're looking at this anachronistically. We're looking at, that's the right word. Um, you know, we're modern day 21st century and we're, and we're judging the entirety of human history on this one concept or one maxim to think that um, to, to raise a child means to love and give time and effort and feed and clothe and, and, and give yourself. Or I think through the most of history, that wasn't the case. You know, kids were almost um, a commodity, I think, maybe for, for at least a, pretend, a part of history. Like a commodity in the sense of something that people owned because of, out, mm. of, out of necessity Work. or just... Yeah. Mm. well if there's no contraception you're kind of forced to have kids like people are still mm. going to have sex so it's like what do you do it's like well then when they come they come it's like you don't really have the choice you can't really time it you can't really plan it it's just like mm. oh well now I, she's um, pregnant what do we do now i guess i i've i've fucked so many times without a condom and i never got anyone pregnant <laughs> in about an eight-year period yeah well <laughs> I don't know if we want to get into the nitty gritty of why that was, but um, common yeah. sense, just withdrawal. Well, that's one way of being, you know, using, you know, contra. But, uh, like I just, just couldn't, just couldn't stop myself and had to go the whole way. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. Well, that makes sense. But a lot of people, yes. I, a lot of people won't do that. And I mm-hmm. guess a lot of people won't do that, I guess. And, and that, mm-hmm. that, in, that will incur that sooner or later, the, um, the woman in that relationship mm-hmm. will be, pregnant right um back in mm. maybe that was seen as something that was um awkward or or you know mm. um emasculating or or kind of um not 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 done as, as something that's kind of um mm. that's not how you do it man i don't know uh, not i don't know man if you do that oh i guess if you um look at it through the catholic lens and um monty python skit every spoon is sacred you know 
you, you know, you can't, a sperm is a life. So if you, if you spill any semen, you, you're killing potential lives and that's murder. So I guess you gotta pay penitence for that one. Have you seen that? The yeah, one? I have. And <laughs> yeah, there's a family full of like a hundred children um, yeah. and they're all in rags because there's no money and no food. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty sad. Um, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's funny the whole children thing. Like, yeah, I, I just don't like the way you phrase that question. Does it make you a better person? It's like, you know, well, that's I why like, I rephrased it for you. I feel like, I feel like with Mickey, I've never had someone in my life that I've treated so well. You know, I'm pretty much on, on, on my hands and my knees uh doing everything i possibly can to create he's, he's like he's like an artwork for me you know i'm trying to mold him into this most perfect form of some creation that i can imagine out of all the experiences i have in the world i'm um i'm, I'm either trying to give him the, the positive sides of it or um rejecting the negative parts of it and hopefully he comes out a, a well-formed statue at the end of it but um Oh man, I, I am such a, I'm a loving person as it is in general. And I don't know if you saw when they left today, but you know, I tell them 20 times a day that I love them. So, you know, it's just part of who I am, but I know, you know, I, I've known plenty of people that would never use those words in, in a family setting. You know, it's, you don't say it because it's just understood, you know? Well, that's just, that's just sad, man. <laughs> that's just really sad. Yeah. Uh, and I've got lots of experience in that. Like, but that's just really sad. I think, you know, not expressing love, you know, the, the language of love, there's lots of ways to express it. And an mm. easy way is through words An easy way, you know, you don't mm. have to, you don't have to touch, you know, like you, words are powerful. Why would you not empower mm. your, your family? Mm. Um, yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I, I think, you know, do you think that, you know, after having children or like, would you consider yourself to be still a nihilist or a nihilist? Mm. Uh, if you have this deep concern for another person's life? No, because I think that it's, as you always go back to, I, I justify it through science and uh, uh, it's all, you know, D Darwin's kind of ruined it for everyone. He's given us a mechanism to uh, explain how um, something can come from nothing, you know? And, and then what? Well, that means that there is no uh, teleological, you know, there is no uh, means to an end, so whatever it is, there's no end result in any of this. What's, what's, no matter what I do in my life, at the end, end of the day when I die, it's only what I did in my life which, which counts. It doesn't, you know, in my mind, I, I forget the who, who, who he was, the guy that painted the screen is a Norwegian painter. Uh, he said, when I die, my body goes into the earth and I will become the flowers that, you know, push out of the soil. And to me, that is eternity. And it's that's not Vincent Van Gogh, was it? Nah, I forget his name. Oh, no, the, the, um, Scream. It's um, Salvador Dali? No, no. Edward. Edward Munch. Yeah, Edward Munch. Okay. Yeah. You'll see, the, you'll see the quote there too. He's sort of like saying, you know, I become eternal because I well, all my minerals and atoms and molecules break down and become the rest of the universe. And, and to me, you know, it's, there's no meaning in that because meaning is only like a construction of, of, of the human mind. 
in my in, in my mind. Mm. Yeah, I think so. We all we all have to tell ourselves stories and how we deal with mm. life. Mm. Um, Justify why we do what we do. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, and without a story, I think, like without a story, then I think you're a true nihilist because then really nothing, completely nothing matters, and it's mm. just, it's it's yeah, it's wild. Yeah, interesting, man. I'm just wondering about this whole having children thing. I wonder if I wonder if it's part of the human condition that if you don't have children, do you miss out on the human condition? You know, mm -hmm. like is it is are we here? Does it benefit the individual to to have a broad spectrum of experiences? Does it matter? Mm -hmm. um, is it personal thing? Uh, mm -hmm. Does does those experiences change you? Give you more insight? Is it valuable? I'm mm -hmm. not sure. Well, if you want to go back to what you said before, like, uh, is it, are you a better person because you have a kid? Uh, before, before I wanted to have a kid, uh, as I said before, that my only justification for having a child was so that I would have someone, if anyone, uh, to keep me company when I'm old, someone that might look after me, someone that might be there for me, someone that might visit me once every year or two or, or whatever that may be. And, yeah. um, I, I made the decision that I would forego that. I, I would live a life of, of uh, you know, solitude and loneliness and suffering. So I wouldn't have to put someone else through that pain and suffering. So I feel like I already had that altruistic compassion before I had a child. I didn't need to have a child. I've had these conversations before and people say, I was an asshole before I had a kid and now I'm a good guy. It's like, I don't think that <laughs> made any difference to me. Yeah. I'm much less selfish now. What about the argument that, you know, people don't ask to be born, but what about the argument mm -hmm. that um, children would prefer to have been born than not have been born? Do you think there's any truth to that? I hold, I, I hold that truth now. I, I, I'm glad that I'm, I was born. Yeah. Right. But, but at some my, stage, my, you weren't yeah. glad that you were born. Yeah. I, I was asking stupid existential questions and that's just, part of um uh, you know the, the problem that i have with mickey you know him having to deal with those psychological sort of who am i and how i fit into the world kind of thing all the suffering that in, entails the human ego kind of thing like that right mm. yeah I, I i like i i feel like that life will, wants to find a way and i feel like mm. baby wants to live and i feel like we feel like we want to live too if we have mm. purpose um and I feel like it's part of the human condition, but you know, do, do we accept it all holistically, the pain and the suffering? And, you know, like I'm, I'm glad to have this human experience, even though mm. it's um, someone said that being born is like a sexually transmitted disease, a terminal sexually transmitted disease, mm. you know, that mm. you'll, you will die. You will mm -hmm. die. And it's, it's tra transmitted sexually. And it's, it's when it's over, it's over. Yeah, I wanted to jump back on something that you said before. You know, it's like you said something about how we all want to live, or you know, there's some certain human drive about some certain human drive about staying alive or longevity or whatever. And the first thing I thought when you said that it was the reverse. It was like uh, we just don't want to die. <laughs> you know, we're, we're given we're given life. We haven't got the option. It's there, um, and we want to fight death, to maintain it. Death. It, is most generally a painful, um, you know, situation. And, um, you know, why not just live out the next, you know, whatever the hell it is, 50, 60, 70 years and enjoy whatever the hell that is for what it is, you know? 
Yeah, I think there's truth to that, man. To, you know, a part, a big part of life is is protecting it and and not mm. wanting it to to fizzle out. Mm. Yeah, bro, I gotta yeah, make yeah. a, I, I gotta make a move. All, All good, right, man. Anyway, go have your lunch and dinner, and thanks for your time. And yeah, likewise, um, bro. Great to talk to you, man. I really enjoyed it. Um, sounds good, man. Yep. All right, brother. Take care. Enjoy, enjoy your weekend. You too. Ciao. Bye.